happy with no goals. But then I will. Um, I will. I will then be like depressed that I don't have any goals to pursue, and so I'll start suffering again. And then as soon as I make a goal to pursue, like a meaning of my life, I then start suffering because I don't have like the willpower to execute on said goal. So I'm either like depressed. So I'm just suffering like either way. And it's like, it's like these, these two grooves are so I feel like worn down in my brain that it just, it slips, slides into them so much easier than just being happy. Mm -hmm. Well, those are the two uh, ways <clears throat> that most people get caught in. And they both have to do with the dumb animal doing what it's supposed to do. This is the woeful state. You, you, you've heard about that, I'm, I'm sure, about the four modes of clinging bring about the four woeful states. Hungry ghost, hell worlds, mm -hmm. uh, being reborn as an animal, being reborn as a frightened assurance. Okay, so being reborn as an animal in that moment means like a draft animal. Normally, Westerners, when they think about animals, they think about bugs and flies and fish and that kind of stuff rather than uh, work animals. But draft animals that are put to work is what we do with um, animals that are smart enough to be put to work. Mm -hmm. Dogs, cattle, horses, sheep. We can put all of those animals to work. They're domesticated. Guess what? Humans are too. Domesticated, trained, mm -hmm. put to work. All right. And so. <clears throat> Whenever we think in that regard, that's the kind of getting put to work. Now, there's two responses to that. And that is going along and getting along and remaining dissatisfied or wanting to rebel against it. But both of those are dukkha. Does this fit in with what you're um, talking about here that you've yeah. got something that you're supposed to do right. and if you do it you feel bad and if you don't you feel bad exactly exactly and if, right. if, if you don't do it then you can feel guilty for a while and then you get tired of that and so we rebel against it mm -hmm. yes then we go back and we do it again so we're either doing what we're told to do, rebelling against what we're told to do, or feeling guilty about not doing what we're told to do. Those are normally our three options. Precisely, precisely. That's exactly the rut that I'm stuck in. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? Because I know it so succinctly and see it so clearly, it must mean that you're not the only one that's ever had it. Makes sense makes sense that this is a common thing that happens in our culture. So, uh, but that's not your only choices. The, the choice that you have is to wake up to this stuff instead of falling into it over and over and over again. That actually you listen to these thoughts that you're having. And so one of the ways that I would uh, talk about it, because uh, I was just mentioning that with the other Robert, is to start guarding this mind door. Start listening to this stuff with discerning eyes. Is this really helpful and wholesome for me to think these kind of thoughts? Mm. And so this back to basic Anapanasati, but we're actually looking at it from the perspective of these thoughts are unwholesome. When you tell yourself something to do, your three choices are is to go along, to get along, but you don't like it and you're not getting any results. Or you don't do it, and then you feel either guilty or rebellious. Mm -hmm. When are we going to learn to wake up that we've got a choice about whether we're going to do it or not? And if we do it, we still have a choice about whether we're going to enjoy doing it. 
Well, see, this is the thing. I try to look at these thoughts through the lens of practice, through the lens of anapanasati. Are they wholesome? Are they unwholesome? Are they like a victim thing and we want to avoid that? And Or are they affirming that I'm a winner? And I try to do that. But in the moment, um, my mind will kind of just like, it'll it'll basically like bring into question like like these like deeper existential issues to try and convince me not to do it and they do kind of seem like pertinent in the moment even though i know better like it'll say like in other words you're trying to tell me now about all the sides of the rabbit hole that you're going down yeah 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 you know i'm trying to go this way Right. Well, that's the whole point is these existential questions, as I mentioned before, existential means that they are outside. They're outside the boundaries. There's something that we don't need to know. And there you go, jumping into all the things, thinking that that kind of stuff is going to answer your question. The where the a better, much better question would be, is that how thought wholesome? The answer is no, it's not It's not wholesome. It's giving me orders of things that ought to be done or places to go or things to do. And right now I'm not about to go any place or do anything. I'm going to sit here and enjoy not going any place or not doing anything. That's your choice. But instead, you're in that kind of rebellious, guilty back and forth. Trying to ju- find the right justification. And it's all just. <laughs> wakey, wakey to that stuff and recognize you don't need to put that stuff in here. That that's an old habit. They're trying to justify either doing it or not doing it. And recognize that that pattern. Is is unnecessary. You don't have to even ask yourself those kind of questions at all. You can just sit and enjoy yourself. I'll be back. I'll be back in one second. Okay. Hi, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I um, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Um, I've never said much of anything else. You know. <laughs> we have to keep coming back to this because you keep giving these thoughts that you're having some sort of importance. Mm-hmm. It's just habitual, isn't it? It's just that these patterns of thinking have become habitual. So I'm kind of, that's why they're the natural thing that I will fall into so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all just it. it's habit. just habits. Yeah. And that's what makes them heavy and important. Is because we keep doing it over and over and over again until it gets heavy on the mind and we mistake heaviness with importance. So when you just recognize that that stuff is heavy, but it's not important, it's existential. Hmm. You throw it out and have fun instead. Don't worry, be happy, they say. And here you are talking about, well, what's the correct way to worry? (laughs) That's a really good point. What's the correct way to worry? Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> and then obviously I never find an answer and it just goes around. <laughs> and so you now you know that Ferris wheel. You see the various seats that you sit in as you go around that Ferris wheel. And you don't enjoy the ride. The thing, the thing about them is, you know, in that moment, it's like, it's 
it's like not wakey wakey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to describe it. Best not to. Best to recognize that you want to describe something that's not really relevant or important. You're still trying to make it important. You're still trying to make it important enough to describe it. And it's not even, I mean, leave it indescribable. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to inspect every nit. Make it big and important. We can set that stuff down. I spent like um like two hours yesterday. It was more than two actually. It was like it was a number like over different points in the day, just like trying to really sit with these um these like existential problems, so to speak, like um like meaninglessness hopelessness um those kind of things like just like really like sitting with them and, and like meditating on well, them wait a minute like is being... meaninglessness and hopelessness are those good things or bad things um, how do you that... feel about meaninglessness i, I love it <laughs> well this is the thing this is what i was trying to do i was thinking like if i really sit with these and i sit with the pain can i do that to change my relationship with them because i i don't like them at all um and in well, the end not? Isn't it end, marvelous that you've got everything that you need, that everything right now is so wonderful that there's nothing to hope for? You're hopeless. <laughs> you've yeah. already got everything you need. Everything is marvelous right now. This is it. What a... <laughs> I've got rhythm. I've got music. I've got my pals who could ask for anything more. <laughs> See, the problem is now you've got me convinced. So I can't think where I was coming from with those questions initially, because I'm already like feeling good. <laughs> yes, meaninglessness. We are taught. Basically, you could say that meaning is the fundamental point of religion. They try to give people meaning in their lives. Mm -hmm. right? By telling them some sort of ghost story. And so the story has meaning. Some story, some versions of the story have ghosts and spooks, and some of the versions of the stories have virgins, uh, you know, no knock-up babes, and uh, other versions of it have three gods in one. There's just all kinds of stories that people have thinking that that stuff has meaning, including sky daddies. Okay. And in Asia, they have meaning in the sense of if you do a good action, you'll get a good result. And if you do a bad action, you'll do a bad result. Okay. And that gives meaning to people's lives as well as they've got their own magical stories. So mostly what gives us meaning in life is uh, remote possibilities. And if we recognize that basically I don't need a meaning, things don't mean much of anything, and then we begin to understand that everything only had a meaning so far as I gave it in the first place. That this is actually a process of the mind. That what things are, are as they are, and they have no meaning. This just the ramble of the universe. And that all meaning comes from something that you want out of it. Mm -hmm. I like that description a lot. And that's where meaning is. This is actually part of the teaching of the Buddha of Sunyata, emptiness. But the Buddha stays with the point because if you unravel this correctly, you'll understand the entire teaching. And that is the main issue of emptiness is everything is devoid of a self. It has no inherent nature. Some people will say, oh, the Buddha teaches that the inherent nature of things is dukkha. 
No, that's a mental construction. That the Buddha teaches that nothing has an inherent nature. Everything is made up of constituent component parts. And the question that we have is, what can we see the difference between what is actually really there and what are the things that we're adding to it with our imaginations? Because we were taught to do that. We give meaning to things where, in fact, it doesn't mean anything at all. A clear example of that is all the synchronicity that happens on these calls. It's quite amazing when the students will say, well, I was just, you know, that's the job that I have when I'm talking about dishwashers. And I mentioned a song and they say, oh, well, that song's actually right now on the turntable. We played it just last night and here you are talking about it. And then people will try to make meaning out of all of that stuff. And I just get a big kick out of it. I don't have to understand it or try to make meaning or make connections. That we can just see the stuff. Okay. Mm. So if we try to give meaning to it, then we are grasping at something that we cannot get. That's the same thing as hope. Hope is actually means that you're wanting something and that you're using the word hope rather than the word want. Trying to make your wanting somehow noble. Mm-hmm. But all it is is just wanting something that you don't have. That's what hope is. And if you don't hope for anything, because everything you know is going to work out just fine without any efforts or any worries or any flurries, it's just everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. And I don't have to then spend my time hoping. Mm-hmm. And if I put that hope into a very uh, high quality formal setting, I can call it prayer. Right. I want God to change his plan. Oh, Mr. God in the sky, please change your eternal plan. I know you've had it for centuries and millennium, but I want you to change it because little old me wants things to be different than they are. I want Granny to get up out of that bed and she know everybody knows. And in fact, it's it's easy to see she's going to die within the next few hours. Please pick her up and put her on her feet, Mr. God. <laughs> it is quite an absurd uh, proposition, really. I feel like Christianity is just like kind of an absurd religion, like like a heaven and a hell. And then like, I don't know, man, I don't know how people believe that. Well, it's guess just, what? Yeah. Even though you don't believe it on the surface, you're still believing it at a deeper level because that's what all of this is about when you start talking about meaning. Because if there is no heaven, there is no hell, that those are just stories that they tell kids to make them behave themselves. Then what is the meaning of life? What's it all about, Alfie? Okay. Or the other song is, is that all there is? And that's about it. I don't know either of those songs. I'll have to check them out after the call. Uh Yeah, that's the name of one of those songs. Is that all there is? And, And my statement is very close to that. And that is, is that all there is to it? Because it's a completely different frame of reference. When we say, is that all there is? That means that I want it to be more. But when I say, is that all there is to it? That means that I'm really happy that this is all there is. This is it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a subtle switch in the language. And the subtle sense switch in your attitude. My attitude, right. Right, right. right. So when you're looking for meaning and you're hoping for something, then you're singing the song, is that all there is? And you're doing it from a state of disappointment. But when you say, is that all there is to it? Then that means that you're successful. It's remarkable how everything you say can make so much sense to me when I'm in a good mood and somehow so little when I'm in a bad mood. And like, like in a couple hours, like tomorrow, like I'm pretty sure there's going to be a point during the day where I'm going to feel awful. And this, all of this, which makes perfect sense now, it just, it clicks, it all fits into place, is just going to be like, it feels like I'll just be like pulling at straws. 
Like, well, you have like, to remember when you're about to get into a bad mood. Don't go into the bad mood. Say, hot dog, I'm about to go into a bad mood. I, I caught you mm -hmm. bad mood. And don't see the there. signs. See the see signs. your signs. You already know mm -hmm. that you're you're beginning to pick this stuff up for yourself. So you can see this stuff coming. Pay attention. Wakey, wakey. Watch when you're about to become dissatisfied. Watch when you're thinking of thoughts of wanting something. Then I'm not saying don't want anything, but the easier way to do it is only want things that are immediately available to you. You know, little simple things like I want to go to the toilet, so I'll go to the toilet. I want a cup of coffee, so I'll get coffee. I want to say hi to my friends, and so I'll say hi to my friend. If I want, if I want a meaning of life, can I just give myself one? Well, Even, I know it's well, false, we've already been doing that. Yes. Where else is it going to get any meaning at all? In fact, that's the way of looking at it is, is that um, the uh, let us say that meaning is on a blackboard in some school. And that blackboard can be erased and anything you want to can be drawn back up there on that blackboard. Mm -hmm. Now they use whiteboard and magic markers. We use chalk <laughs> and slate. All right. So that's the whole point is, is that it is there. Now, that reminds me of an old joke. And the joke is, is that the young um, seeker wanted to find what was the key? What was the key to the universe? And so he went to Asia and started looking around and found about this guru and that guru. And he finally climbed this really high mountain in the Hamadis to this old guru that you heard about. And when he finally gets there, all huffing and puffing, he sits down to catch his breath. And the old guru opens one eye. And then the student says, please, sir, what is the key to the universe? And the old man opens his eyes and says, I don't know. I didn't know that the universe was locked. Okay, now that's the point. The universe has been unlocked and what you're looking for when you say the meaning of life is you're looking for the key. And it's already been left unlocked. You don't need a key. <laughs> yeah, but okay. I, all, that, you have to makes... do to rem all you have to do is remember that it is unlocked and that you don't need the key. Yeah, And here you are worrying yourself about a key, something that you need, some meaning to life. Yeah. But back to the question that you were asking, the obvious answer is yes. Now that you know that, why don't you put meaning in your life that is absolutely ecstatic? Right. Your choice. You right. can put any meaning on your life that you want to. Moment by moment, as you remember. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As but Rocky oh. says, I could have been a contender. Well, you are a contender already. You could be a champion. But, but hold it lightly as well. Don't take it as worth suffering over. Because I, 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 I slip over that line so easily when I find something that I'm enjoying. Like, say, I'm watching an episode uh, of a TV show I'm enjoying. And I go mm -hmm. from enjoying it to enjoying it less when I really start enjoying it. Because I go from liking it to wanting it. Mm -hmm. And I'm still liking it, but I'm also wanting it at the same time. And I can see how that that then and, means like when that show goes and away. Giving, and giving it meaning, right. Yes. Making yes, it important, yeah. precisely. And the reality is, is that when that TV show is over, it's gone and it's over. Go do something else. But here you are trying to cling to it because you think it's good, useful, valuable, and wholesome to where, in fact, it's quite ephemeral. There's nothing to it. There's actually um, a really interesting study by Leigh Brasington that um, someone shared on Discord that I will, um, I'll send you the link of that's about the difference between um, serotonin and dopamine. Um, and I was thinking about it because it seems really similar to the wanting and to the liking. 
um, and how they affect our brain. Apparently, um, serotonin um, makes you feel like you are enjoying yourself and you're satisfied with it. Whereas dopamine mm-hmm. feels like you're enjoying yourself, um, but you want more of that feeling of dopamine. Mm-hmm. So it's right. like enjoying with craving, where serotonin is enjoying without craving. And there was also even other details about how serotonin is normally shared um, with other people versus dopamine is about personal achievement. And like this really interesting comparison between the two chemicals. And I thought that was, I thought I wanted to, sh- I wanted to mention that and share that with you. Cause I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, you'll get a kick out of reading that science. Oh, but that's, that's old data. That's, that's not new. I don't think, oh, is it not? I think, I don't think that Lee Brassington did that research. He's just repeating. Oh, for sure. For sure. He, he, he just, to be he wrote, proof. he just, yeah, yeah, for sure. He just uh, wrote about it in an article. Sorry, he, I didn't mean he did the studies. I mean, he, he made an article based on the okay. studies. Yeah. So anyway, yes, this is this is quite well known. And that that dopamine hit is the liking, but it really goes south in the sense of then we begin to want it. Oh, I like that. Let me get a hit of it again. Let me get a hit of it again. I want more. I want that. I like that. I I want more and more. Okay. That's why, in fact, strip tease works. That's what it means. Is strip tease. Keep the dopamine going. Keep teasing and teasing mm-hmm. and teasing. Mm-hmm. But either it never delivers or the final payoff is an actual trap. Mm -hmm. Okay, which means that uh, big payment, balloon payment at the end, those kind of things would happen. But the strip tease is to tease one. They do that with with uh, little breadcrumbs to get the rats or the uh, the squirrels to go under the box so the kid could pull the string and and trap the uh, the squirrel. That's the teasing. That's the dopamine. We keep hitting that dopamine over and over and over again, and we keep wanting more of it. The serotonin is different than that because that has to do with satisfaction. And so basically the Anapanasati practice is really to stop putting people in the state of wanting and wanting and wanting and dopamine and searching for that and come into real satisfaction, which is a serotonin rather than a dopamine. So come out mm-hmm. of our dopamine world and come into a serotonin world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, okay. there's, there's nothing like inherently wrong with any particular type of thought. It's just if it's wholesome or if it's unwholesome. Right. And we could then go in far, so far as to say that now we've got a new set of labels that we can put on that in the sense of brain chemistry. And that we can say that dopamine would be unwholesome and serotonin would be wholesome. Well, that's what's been really interesting is since reading that research, it's been really cool to notice how these different chemicals feel like in the body and in the mind, because it also talks about how dopamine is more in the body and then serotonin is more above the head. And just noticing like these sensations in the body correlating to these like chemicals and stuff. And that's been like pretty interesting to like kind of... I'm not sure if they have run across it yet, but it seems to me that what you're suggesting is, is that dopamine is somehow related to adrenaline and cortisol. Mm -hmm. In other Mm -hmm. words, if we want something, then we're going to get into that fight or flight movement to get it just like fear. So fear is one kind of chemical. And that that happens with the amygdala, which is located kind of in and back. You can think of it as the part of the brain that's closest to the back of the throat. That's the amygdala. And that's the sensor of the source of fear or terror. You could also say that that's the source of the um, uh, self-preservation instinct, that there's actually an area of the brain that is pointed out. And it's right there with the hippocampus and the uh, of that area of the brain. So. The dopamine is much more in this area of the brain, the higher part of the brain, uh, of the reptilian brain. But all of the chemical work like that is produced from the glandular system that's associated with the penile and the pituitary glands. 
And so dopamine and serotonin and all of that kind of stuff. Well, serotonin actually is produced more, um, let us say, locally. To where dopamine spreads just like adrenaline and uh, other fluids like that. But this this information is quite useful to some of us scientists. But it was irrelevant to the Buddha. We didn't need that kind of language to understand the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can see the process, the way that the mind works is, is that if we like something, if we're not careful, we'll start wanting it. That's Desire. the thing. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the desirousness comes in. And then you start stressing out about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if we can recognize that we like it, but we don't want it, that I'm satisfied without it. Here, I'll have some serotonin, please, along with my dopamine. <laughs> So now we're talking about Paticca Samapada. Right at that point of Paticca Samapada is where the, the Vedana comes, the feelings. If those feelings, if we're wise when those feelings uh, arise or at the contact, then we can say, I do like it. That bikini is quite beautiful. And all the imaginary things that are in my mind is behind that bikini. But all I see is bikini, you see. All right. But I like it but I don't want it. I'm satisfied without it. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice visual image. Let it pass. I've seen that, been there, done that. But mm-hmm. if I see that bikini and I say, oh, there's something behind there and I want it. Now we begin to go into completely different mental state. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a whole shift of attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is why the Buddha talks about wisdom at the point of contact, so that when we see something, or another way of saying it, guard the eye door, guard the ear door. If someone is criticizing you, guard your ear door so that you don't grab that painful data and stick it in your mind and stab yourself with it. Straight up. That's something I've kind of realized this, well, more and more over the course of my life but kind of this week especially is like before I kind of thought like you know it's kind of good to have like triggering things because then you know it's a real test of your strength and so it was like this it was like this kind of like macho idea getting like like put into the practice where it's like oh if I'm around things that like trigger me to do bad habits and that just means I'm that much stronger but whereas actually if I just straight up remove those triggers um or by bad practice I just mean like freaking out emotionally and stuff like getting emotional mm-hmm. and stuff like if i just remove those that just makes it that much easier like less work to do i'm more satisfied it's like there's nothing wrong with just like removing environmental triggers and stuff all right so now we got a couple of new triggers to pop in that list and that is hoping and meaning mm-hmm. because things don't have to mean anything at all or if you want them to have meaning that's your choice, but recognize that you're making the choice of giving something meaning and that it's just temporary and you could change your meaning later. Yeah, like the meaning I've been giving them for practical purposes, experiences, I mean, is just like to gladden the mind when I'm unhappy to become happy again. And then sometimes like I'll need to motivate myself to do that and then I'll get a bit more detailed and I'll say, you know, I'm doing this because if I do get good at gladdening the mind now, in the future, my, you know, I'll naturally be less stressed out and stuff. And All so, right. Now that's, that's like something hoping. that a that that's kind of hoping that's the victim. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So but another way this, you can like, say that it is, hey, I can do better than that right now. I'm better than that right now. I don't have to hope mm-hmm. for doing better than this later. I can do it right now. And that's the mm-hmm. winner's attitude. Mm-hmm. To so, take that meaning, it means that, hey, you could do this right now. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I need to take those kind of like baby steps in a sense in order to. You've been taking too many baby steps. Now let's take a full trot. <laughs> OK, definitely, definitely. Take definitely. a big trot, take a take a leap. The leap right out of the um, uh, the victimhood into I can do this. Right. Right. Yeah. You can do this. You know you can do this. Come on, admit that you could do this. 
You've done it so many times before, and you're still doubting that you could do it when you know you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> and that even is a kind of clinging to meaning. And you can drop that meaning, and you can give yourself a new meaning. And one of the best meanings is that don't mean nothing. <laughs> you don't have a it. meaning at all. There's nothing to it. Yeah. I feel like I need to already be really happy, though, to like be able to handle that. Because if I'm in a bad mood and I try to use that, like my mind will like twist it around to become a negative thing. And um, Ah, but you need to get yeah. yourself into a state of being able to see that as it approaches and taking a deep breath and not go into that state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you get into that state and you can't get out, you can still remember over and over again, hey, this don't mean nothing. Hey, I'm in a funk and it don't matter. Hey, I can get myself out of this right now. I can mm -hmm. take another deep breath and I can say, see, I'm already coming out of it. Ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preempt, preempt the, the, uh, the overreaction. Reaction or, or when you're in it, you can plan on coming right back out of it because you've got the attitude that you can come right back out of it. Don't mean anything. You, you have heard of quicksand. And you know how many movies have quicksand? Yeah, yeah. Very, very few people have ever seen quicksand. I have seen quicksand. I have been in quicksand. I understand quicksand. And there's an easy way that you can always get out of it. But you see, if you're trying to pull this foot up, you're using the other foot to push down. You know the right way to come out of quicksand? So you just got to lay down, right? Yeah, to take a deep breath and lay down and your feet will float right up to the surface and then you can uh, uh, butterfly your way to whatever shore you want to go to. Yeah. It's easy, yeah. easy to come out of quicksand. Yeah, but easy but scary route because I feel like putting my head or whatever or like even like my upper body on the quicksand like pretty terrifying in the moment. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's I recognize that that's how we actually practicing Anapanasati is remember when you've gotten into quicksand if you try to pull yourself out of it you're going to get stuck deeper what you need to do is to lay down relax and take a deep breath <laughs> yeah it's like from ah everything is meaningless to ah everything is meaningless yeah that, that makes sense to me that that communicates that communicates so um so here's another question for you um is it okay to uh, romanticize our life to gladden the mind, or is it better not to go into that type of thought? Um, By that, I mean like exaggerated versions of how good life is. Like, life is amazing. Like, the sun is shining. Sunlight gives love to the earth. I mean, these sound good, but like in the moment when I'm sad, like it really seems like I'm... Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of... Okay, Actually, let me, let me think of an you know, like making you're, things sound I, I understand, okay? The, you know? the answer to that is, is that the things that you used as examples were here now kinds of things. The sun is That's shining. That's it's true. That's true. morning. It's raining. The sun is out. The wind is blowing. These are the kind of things that we can actually, those are real. Okay? This is not romanticizing. This is appreciating the reality of your life. And it's time that you do that. Romanticizing is something completely different, and that is, oh, I can imagine this to be better than it is. I'm trying to give it a different meaning. I'm hoping. That's romanticizing. Romanticizing is a kind of a hoping for things to get better. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That's, that's exactly what I mean. I didn't know it, but that's exactly what I mean. It's like... Yeah, make wishful thinking, like making things like like they're like I'm in heaven, like saying this is nirvana, like because I don't really believe that, like you know, you know, like dismissing all the bad stuff, you know, like yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're wanting to to be better rather than uh, in in a way. There's two ways of saying it in the sense of this is nirvana is kind of hoping for it or wishful thinking or yeah. romanticizing. And yeah. then yeah. there is this nirvana, which is meanwhile, 
this is really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the rational down to earth versus like kind of exaggerated, romanticized mm-hmm. thing. Like, yeah. Okay, so that's the meaning then. The meaning is that stuff that we add to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The wanting it, the hoping, all of that stuff is is additions that we right, add right, right. the reality instead of actually just appreciating the reality. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what it feels like a lot of the time, is it feels like I'm trying to trick myself into believing some exaggerated claim about the way things are. I'm like, you know, I know like spiritual people say that things are great and that the universe is made of unconditional love, but like it clearly isn't like and like well, I'm let just, us like, say it this way. That's a mistake. That's romanticizing it. Mm-hmm. The way to find the way to state it better is that I can find love in every corner of the universe. That's more real. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is basically just the confidence that I can handle whatever happens. Mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is completely different than that romanticizing of the world is a marvelous place. Yeah. Because yeah. that's too broad in the sense that, well, we need to look at some definitions. The planet Earth is fine with and without humans. But human society is what we normally call the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, a quick example of that. In in the practice of metta meditations, no doubt you probably heard of the idea of the six points of the compass. Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. Radiating to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and to down below and to up above and all of that. Okay. And that's giving people an image of the world. Conceptualized image. The reality is, is that those six compasses can mean something real if you understand it correctly. And that is the people right in front of me, the people who are behind me trying to stab me in the back, the people above me who I appreciate to be above me, the people who are down below me, which are the ones that are servants to me. And in our society, that would be people who wait on our tables, the people who uh, cashier, the people who uh, pump gas, the workers, all of that. On this side, I have my family and on this side, I have my friends. That's it. Front and back. back. In other words, we're talking about the immediate universe, the reality that we live in. That's mm. our world. That's the mm. real world. The real world is only the people that we contact. Mm. Only Mm. the things that we actually see. My relationship to that bird over my shoulder that's saying cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo is there because he's there and we're close and I can hear him. But I do not have to conceptualize that bird of being way off some other place. No, he's close by. So So this is a way of beginning to understand that we can close down our conceptualized world until it becomes real. Because there is a real world, but it's the real world of our senses, the real world of our people around us, those those things that we find on the six points of the compass, not the things that are way out west or way up north or way down south, or back east, or up in mm-hmm. the high. Okay, that's conceptualized world that we most of us live in. That's the world that you're romanticizing. Yes, yes, that 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 makes sense. That makes sense. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right, because the present moment, not present moment, the um, the world of the our senses. World, that's what I mean. Yeah, the authentic yeah, the real world that we live in in our senses. It's really a beautiful idea to start appreciating that, to appreciate the people around you, to yeah. appreciate the battle that just moved by. Appreciate yes. the people yes. that just arrived. Okay. Yes, right. The this, sunshine this, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. To start paying attention to what's real mm-hmm. rather than paying attention to conceptualizations. That's, That's very really key. Yeah, really key for me because. Uh, I, I can't remember what I was going to say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
other than trying to think of my whole life or the whole universe, God forbid, in like absolutely good terms, which just feels like I'm kidding myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know. That in fact, you don't yeah. have any, um, you don't have any responsibility and you don't have any um, ability to make changes to the grand universe. So your meaning is meaningless <laughs> because you've got no possibility of putting your meaning <laughs> on yeah. the world or on the universe to bring that yeah. about. Yeah, it's what just, the heck am I going to do? Right, that's exactly. exactly it. That's what brings it back down to with a sledgehammer wanting things you cannot have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's better to want the things that you can have. And one of the ways of doing that is by coming out of conceptualized world into the world of reality that you're actually in. Right, right. Want the things we can have, which are the things that are already here. Exactly. Right. My chair is comfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Precisely. Or uh-huh, as they uh-huh. sometimes say, the best things in life are free because here they are. Because here they are, the little things. I've really noticed that. I've really noticed, I was contemplating this earlier, how even when you're super rich and successful, the the, the 99.99% of your life is the exact same as when you're poor. You're still eating the same tastes. You're, you're tasting the same tastes on your taste buds. You're going to sleep with, you know, like pillows and stuff. Like all the little things are like the same, you know, it's like, like the comfort of your bed, right? The comfort of your chair, you know, like, uh, you know, just like you're you're probably going to sit and look at a computer screen most of the day or your phone or whatever, like, like all the little things in life, the sun is going to look the same way. It's still going to rain at the same time of day, you know, like it's 90 percent at least is like same. Exactly. And the funny part in that regard is, is that the amount of money that they have is irrelevant because they all still feel like they want more. Well, that's the thing. That's that's the crazy thing. And it's so crazy for me because like I was just noticing like how much of just excuses I was making for myself, like because I'm not at this particular level that I want to be at financially, you know, I can't um, I need to get there before. But like as soon as I get there, you know, like that's just again, like it's just like an arbitrary. Mm-hmm. arbitrary thing you know it's like the little appreciating the little things it's as i feel like it's so important you know it's the, the mundane everyday stuff well that's all there is is the mundane everything in fact that's where meaning is the mundane everything and the distinction between exalted and mundane is your attitude what else could possibly be the difference between ordinary mundane and exalted other than someone's attitude straight up say oh well if a lot of people have the attitude that it's exalted then that must make it exalted, especially if the entire Christian world thinks it's exalted, then it must be exalted. You've heard things like that, that 50 million Frenchmen couldn't be wrong when they voted against having World War II. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Just because there's mass numbers of people who have one opinion or another of it doesn't mean that you have to be a dumb animal that goes along to get along, that you have a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you was, can make it ordinary yeah. at one moment and make it exalted the next and know that you have that power. It's, I was just going to say, well, like, those like 50 million people who like have the opposite opinion to me, they're not like, they're not in the world of my senses, you know, they're not the little things, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much like joy that I can find here, you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm, if I have the right attitude, you know, I can find that joy, otherwise Precise. it's going to seem like more shit. Actually, that's yeah. exactly right. In fact, one of the ways of saying it then is the right attitude is, is everything is already, I don't have to go looking for it to find it, there it is. Mm-hmm. But if I have an attitude of being a victim, that means it's not there and I got to go look for it. 
That's the hope. That's the meaning in all of that. That's the victim's position. You don't have to go find it. It's already here. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> you don't have to do anything except appreciate that which has already been given to you. Yes, yes. I like that. I think this is going to be my approach as well going forward. Yeah. Um, is is focusing on the, uh, the the stuff that's right here in the senses as well, rather than the ideas and stuff. And I noticed when you, you pointed it out, and I noticed as well, like even in that question, uh, is it okay to romanticize our life? Like romanticized means like our life in that context was meaning like my ideas of my life. Like it was talking about like my life as a whole, the world as a whole. Like and I, I think my approach is just going to be to forget about that and just for now focus on uh, the, the, the simple little stuff that's already here. So I really mm -hmm. feel like that, that's, that definitely, I feel like the impression I get is like that grounds me more, you know, and that stops me going into these thought loops about the existential nature of things, you know, just like stay grounded in reality, stay in like, like on the level of nature like doesn't have any existentials. That's the whole exa point. Exactly. Like on that <laughs> level, that's just like grounded. Like I'm not getting lost in the meaning of my life or goals or purpose or any of that. Just like, just like, just like keep it simple. Keep it like, keep it classic, you know, like, just like, what did people 5,000 years ago real. have? Yeah, keep it real. Yeah, straight up. Keep it real. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's got to be the way to go. Because it's, yeah, it's like, it's like we discussed, like these things, they just, they just turn into rabbit holes and they're just never ending. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And we don't need to know all of that data that's down in those rabbit holes. We don't need any of that. We could just be happy. Never mind. I don't need to know the answer to the universe. I don't need to know the key. Don't have to have the key to the universe. It's been left unlocked. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to fix every problem for every person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just because they think they've got a problem. <laughs> what problem? <laughs> what, me worry? <laughs> yeah. I, I hear you, Damara. I hear you. Um, well, um, I appreciate I appreciate the help uh, this evening. This is great. Morning for you. I, I yeah. really enjoy our game together. This is such yeah. fun. The regular calls Thanks. is really helpful to keep me on track, and I can get my thoughts out in the moment and like get help with it instead of like spending like a week. Because sometimes like I'll spend like um, like a week just on like one issue and it won't get resolved. Um, and because I'm just like stuck in my brain, it's just like literally like it's just stuck in that mode. Like I forget about everything. No, it's else. not stuck. It just keeps falling back there. But you can mm -hmm. dump, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and start bringing down the road again. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're gonna fall down again. Never mind. Start again. Yeah, call off it. We keep doing this. Yeah, it's good. It's very helpful. Change of attitude. You're a lion. I'm a peaceful lion. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Making All friends right, with Robert. the zebras. <laughs> exactly so. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you in a few days then. See you soon. All right. I'll see you soon. Ciao. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.